Well, I'm excited today about the series uh, that we're starting. Uh, it's going to be a four-part series that's going to be asking why questions. And the reason I'm excited about this series is because I really do believe that a lot of us get stuck at a place that's really not a good place to be because things happen to us that cause some major questions, some major struggles. And when we can't find good answers to those questions, a lot of times we'll get to a place that we just whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, we'll just wind up sort of taking a big step back from the Lord and, and His work and what He's wanting to say and do in our lives. And we just wind up missing out on so much of what God has for us. And if we can get these questions just out in the open and really wrestle with them and try and get to some solid answers, we can get past where we've been. And so that's what we're going to seek to do throughout the whole month of, of October. And I'll just go ahead and tell you as sort of a preview to where we're going. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about why does God sometimes not answer my prayers? You ever feel frustrated by that? I mean, you ever have times where you're asking God for good stuff, stuff that you would think God would want to do, and it doesn't happen. And you're praying in faith. You're doing all the stuff that you've been told to do, and you don't hear an answer from God. And it's easy to get to a point where we just feel like, okay, God must just not really care a lot about me or be interested in what I think or what I have to say. And so we sort of cool off and pressing in and praying. And so we're going we're to try to address that next week. The following week we'll wrestle with the question of why do bad things happen to good people? And we don't want to just wax philosophical about that. Because this is a real struggle when the good people are people that you care about. Not just like good people out there in general, but when good people that you know and love that are really dear to you and way more junk happens to them than it seems like ought to happen to any person and you pray for relief and they pray for relief and they're doing all the right stuff and it just seems to get worse why does that happen where's God in the middle of all that that'll be two weeks from today and then the last week we're going to ask the question why would God really want to use somebody like me like you I mean given all of our issues, all of our doubts and fears, our struggles, our major sin hang-ups. Why would God want to use somebody like me or you? And today, we get to dive in with a really important one. One that I think you can relate to very quickly. Today, we're going to begin with the question of, why don't I always feel God? You ever struggle with that? Why is it that you know, sometimes other people around me are like, oh, God is so good, and he's just speaking, and he's moving, and wasn't that just wonderful? And you're thinking, sounds good. <laughs> I just didn't feel it. I don't feel him. In fact, let me just begin with some questions here. How many of you would say, by a show of hands, I have definitely had a time or different times in my life where I have clearly felt God? This is not a sucker question. All across the room, just about every hand of the room raised. Okay, now let me ask you a follow-up to that, and, and I want you to be honest about this one now. How many of you would say, today is one of those days? I've already really felt God here today. How many would, would say yes to that? About like the first service. Maybe, maybe half and half on that question. Okay, now that begs another question, doesn't it? Why the difference? Why is it that on any given day, just like today... You say, all right, did you feel God here today? Maybe half or so would say, yeah, I really have already felt God. About half are going, not so much. Is it because God's looking around and he's going, mm, 
Johnny, I don't really like the way you're wearing your hair these days, so I'm not going to let you feel me today. But, uh, you know, Michelle, I've kind of got a tender place in my heart for you, so I'll let you feel me today. I mean, is that the game that God's playing? I don't think so. So why is it on any given day? And, and, and let me just say, I am in the mix on that. Yeah, almost at a scary level because, I mean, there will be Sundays where he is just in my life. His presence is just so real. It's like he didn't wait for y'all to get here. I just, I feel his presence. I mean, coming here ahead of most of you, and it's just before we can start the music or anything else, I just feel his presence. And the whole time we're worshiping, man, God is just moving. I can feel it. I sense it. I know he's here. When I'm preaching, I just feel his presence and feel that he's speaking in me and through me and just in the whole, day. man, that was so good. But then there are other Sundays. <laughs> there are other Sundays, I've done the same thing. I've prayed, I've sought to prepare myself, come in and, and try to do everything to be ready for him. Gone through the whole worship service, sung the songs with my heart, went, you know, prayed and just prepared myself to preach, preached with all my heart. And when it's done, just thinking, I don't know why anybody would come back next week. I mean, that just wasn't, that was just flat. I didn't sense the Lord one bit the whole time. And on a day like that, this, is, this happens more often than you would imagine. On those kinds of days, somebody will come up and go, man, wasn't that just amazing? Did you not just feel God today? And I'm thinking, should I lie? <laughs> I feel sort of bad as your preacher to go, not really. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I didn't so much. We all have those days, don't we? Now, here's another question for you. When you feel God, what do you really feel? I mean, that's really an interesting question to ask people, to say, flesh that out for me. Describe that for me. When, oh man, I just, I felt God today. Okay, what'd you feel? And it's really sort of, I mean, almost entertaining to, to listen to how people respond because it is tough to qualify that, isn't it? I mean, there are times where you, you know God was there and you felt him, but then when somebody goes, so tell me how it felt. It's like, well, uh, and, and here are some of the kinds of things that you'll hear in response to that. People will say, well, I just, my heart just started racing and I just like goosebumps all over. I just, just felt this thing. Or, or other times people will say, I just can't help but cry in God's presence. Just tears flow when, when I feel God powerfully. Other times people will say, it's like just a warm sensation just washes over me from head to toe when I just feel God powerfully. Well, let me just say, God is capable of producing all of those feelings and a lot more. But the thing that's a, really, a little bit tricky about this is to think about, you know, like those kinds of descriptions and to think, man, the goosebumps and the racing heart, God can sure make you feel that way, but sitting snuggled up close to your boyfriend or girlfriend will do that too, won't it? Hopefully. <laughs> or, you know, the presence of God just brings forth tears. So does chopping onions. It'll bring tears. Or that thing of, man, when I just feel the Lord, I feel this warmth wash over me and it's like yeah urinating in the swimming pool will do that too it'll just be a warmth wash it it'll do it well and some of you are thinking where are you going with this my point is this can be confusing if we base everything on our feelings there are a lot of different things that'll generate feelings for you we're not talking about just a feeling we're talking about a real person whose presence we encounter and how we become aware of that, how we interact with him. And, you know, sometimes we feel him and sometimes we don't. And so there are really two primary things that I want to say to you today. And the first one is very straightforward, and it is simply that 
If you don't always feel God's presence, hey, let's take some of the pressure off. You are not alone. This is a very, very common experience. The psalmist in Psalm 88, the sons of Korah write this psalm, and, and they say this, I'm standing my ground, God, shouting for help, at my prayers every morning, on my knees each daybreak. Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? There we go, a couple of big why questions right here on the front end. What the psalmist is saying here, it is a common theme again and again in the psalms. Just heartfelt questions. Do you hear what he's saying? God, it's not that I've pulled back from you. I'm not running from you. I'm pressing in every morning. I can tell you where you're going to find me at daybreak. You're going to find me on my knees. You're going to hear my voice calling out to you. I've been doing this day after day, and I've just got a couple of questions for you, God. Why? Why is it that when I'm calling out, you're turning a deaf ear to me? Or at least that's how it feels to me. Anybody ever felt that way? Why, God, is it when I show up for my prayer time, when I'm seeking you, why is it that you're the one who seems to be scarce in those times? Do you get what he's saying? I don't feel you, God. I don't feel you near me. I don't hear your voice answering me back, and I don't understand because I'm trying to connect with you. But I don't feel you with me. It's a common experience for all kinds of people. So you're not alone, but it does beg some other questions. Why would we go through seasons like this? Well, I mean, we could sit here and offer all kinds of opinions, and I'm not interested in doing that. We're going to spend some time talking about different reasons that the Word of God gives us, five specific reasons why we may not feel the presence of God in our lives. And so we're going to start with one that, for a lot of us who've grown up in church, is, is very common, and that is the first possible reason for why you don't feel or sense God is because you may be over-sensationalizing it. A lot of us are looking for something big and noticeable and exciting. And it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, have you ever found yourself asking God to do something sensational so that you'll know that he's really real and he's there with you? Like, you know, oh God, I just, I just want to know you're real. I want to know you're here. So would you just let a camel walk in the room today? I mean, God, just, just let, let a camel just walk through the door. Then I would know it was you because there's no other way a camel's coming in the room today. Or, or God, you know, on a cloudless day, you know, God, I just want to know for sure that you're real. Just, I just... Let me know you're there. Just let it thunder right now. Bolt of lightning fall from a blue sky. That, there's no other way that would happen but you, God. You ever ask for goofy, sensational stuff like that? I have. How'd it work out for you? I can tell you, well, if you did, God bless you, because I never have. And most of the time, you're not going to get it when we're asking for the sensational. It was a common request in Jesus' day that people are saying, Come on, do something sensational so that we'll know that you're real, that God is with us. One of the places that we run across this is in John chapter 6. The people have, in this chapter, they have seen Jesus do big-time miraculous stuff. They've just watched him take a sack lunch, five little loaves of barley bread and two small fish, and he fed 5,000 people with that. That's quite a sensational trick, isn't it? Quite a miracle. And so they showed back up the next day going, what are you going to do next? And Jesus was quite frustrated with them. And he said, I know why you're here. You're here because you got food in your belly yesterday and you've come back for more. You're not here because of what God wants. You're not interested in doing the work that, that God desires. And the people said, so what is it? What is the work that God desires? And Jesus said, it's very simple. 
the work that God desires is that you would believe in me. And in John 6.30, the people responded by asking Jesus, So what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Do you get the point? It's like, well, okay, we, we saw a great trick yesterday, but do something else sensational today, and then we can really believe in you. And we look at those people and say, shame on you. You should just believe in Jesus. Are they any different from us? That we're like, well, Jesus, we want to know you're real. We want to know that you're here with us. But do something big and sensational so that we'll know that you're here. And we'll ask for that in different ways. Sometimes we'll ask for really goofy stuff. And I won't even, I'd be embarrassed to share some of the silly stuff I've asked God to do just to prove that he's real, do something sensational so that I can experience you in that. And he's never done the goofy stuff. In fact, Jesus, he addresses this issue multiple times because people are frequently saying, you know, prove yourself. Do something miraculous. Do something sensational. And on another occasion, Jesus looked at the religious leaders when they were saying this, and here's what he said. A wicked and perverse generation asks for a sign, and none will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. I'm sure they were thoroughly baffled when he said that because what he meant when he said none will be given except for the sign of Jonah, he was using the story of Jonah where Jonah, figuratively speaking, you know, was kind of dead. You know, he was in the belly of the whale, totally out of sight for three days. Everybody would consider him dead and gone. And then it's like he got resurrected three days later when he got spit out and was given, you know, his life back. And Jesus is using this term, the sign of Jonah, to reference his own death three days in the tomb and then reappearing. He's just using Jonah as a, as a foreshadowing of that. And he said, you're asking for some big... You know, sensational signs so that you'll know God is real and He's present with you and that He cares. And He's saying, here's the sign that tells you that God is real, that He cares and He's with you. My death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf, paying the price for your sins. You want to know that God is real? The cross is the ultimate declaration that God is real. And all of our cries, God, do something sensational so that I can know and believe. Jesus said, that comes from wickedness. Stop looking for the sensational. And we'll look for it in so many different ways. I mean, I, I have. It's not always asking God to do something sensational, but needing to, to experience Him in you know, goosebump kinds of ways. I, I heard recently a, a colleague of mine, a fellow pastor, tell a story on himself that I could so relate to. He said uh, he grew up in the Methodist church. I grew up in the Baptist church, and they are, they're close cousins, and his experience was very much like mine. And he said uh, in all of his growing up years, he had never been in a charismatic church. Now, if you aren't somebody who's gone to church a lot, that term may not mean a lot. Charismatic churches are the lively churches. They would make us look really tame, a real charismatic church, where there's, you know, a lot of shouting and speaking in tongues, dancing, just you know, a lot of different things that are going on, people being slain and different things like that happening. And so he had never been exposed to this before. Somebody invited him to come, a friend, and so he goes to his first charismatic service as a teenager. And he said, man, it was just like un unlike anything I'd ever experienced in the Methodist church. There's just so much going on. There are people dancing and shouting and hearing all these people in different languages speaking and praying and he said, man, when that preacher preached, it was not like any Methodist sermon he had ever heard before. He said, you know, that guy just laid the word out there, and it, it was just so for me. He said, I thought the guy was talking to me the whole time. And he said, when it got to the end of the message, and the pastor said, you know, if you need today 
to have your sins forgiven and to receive Christ. He said, God, you know, God had just spoken so much through that guy's preaching. I knew I needed my sins forgiven. He said, then you need to come right here to the altar right in front of me. He said, you know, I all but ran. Just had to get down there. He said, I didn't think anybody else would be coming because I thought he was just talking to me. And he said, I, I boogie down there. And he said, the next thing I know, I look up and there's like 30 other people that showed up with me. He said, I didn't know there were so many other people messed up with sin like I was. But he said, you know, because I got there first, the pastor comes to me first. He said, son, do you need today to have Jesus come in your life and forgive your sins? Said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, I want you to raise both of your hands in the air. He's like, all right. And he raised both of his hands in there. And he said, that pastor stepped into me and said, then be forgiven in Jesus' name. And he said, he double high-fived me and just popped my hands good. And he said, I nearly fell down. I staggered backwards, but I caught myself. He was like, wow, that didn't happen in the Methodist church, you know. And, and he said, I, looking at him like, what comes next? And he said, I stepped back in and my hands are up. And he said, the pastor looked at me kind of funny. And he's like, he said, I could tell. He's fixing to come again. And he said, so I'm realizing he wants to high-five me again. And so he said, this time I stepped into him and bam, I high-fived him first. And he said, the pastor wasn't ready for that and it nearly knocked him down. And he said, he really looked at me funny that time because he wasn't expecting that. And he said, at that, he stepped on down to the next guy. And he did the same thing to him and the guy fell out. And he said, I'm watching. And the pastor's going down the line and some guys he's high-fiving and they're falling out. But he said, other ones... He's just touching on the forehead, and bam, they're hitting the ground. Other ones, he's just breathing on them, bam, they're going down. He said, some of them are flapping around like a fish on the ground, and, and you know, uh, some of them are just laying there just in, in peace that are just unconscious. And he said, he looks down the line, and every other person in the line falls out and experiences something supernatural. And he said, man, that just really bothered me because I didn't get it. Everybody else got it. They all had some kind of major experience. And I'm standing there. All I got was a high five. And he said, I'm just in that moment. I'm having that feeling of, you know, well, why didn't God do for me what he did for them? Well, somehow I'm on the outside of God moving. Why didn't God come in and do something in my life? And he said, in that moment, God just through the Holy Spirit said, do you not get it? You did experience me here today. You just sat here and for the last hour listened to me speak powerfully to you. I changed your heart. It was the word that I used in your life to speak to you. It doesn't matter that you didn't fall out, that you didn't flop around on the ground. It's fine that they did. It's fine that they experienced God in, in those ecstatic kinds of ways. But you just experienced God just as powerfully speaking through the word. And he was like, oh, yeah, that was God. That was real, and it's not going to happen the same for every one of us. That is such a key principle for us to get. And, and I grew up more like he did. I grew up in a church where we didn't get, I mean, I went to the altar a bunch of times. I never got a high five. I never got slain. I never spoke in tongues when I came to the altar. It just you know, None of those things ever happened in my life, but I, I knew lots of other people that had all of these experiences friends who just described these wonderful encounters with the lord slain in the spirit speaking in tongues all these different things and i there'd be times in my life i would earnestly seek after these things and it's like well man did i not get the same dose of the holy ghost that they got why am i not feeling and experiencing what they're feeling it is key to understand when god does move in our lives when god does show up 
in a significant way in our lives. It's different for different ones of us, and that's okay. Be careful not to over-sensationalize it and to feel like it's got to look like this. It's got to give me goosebumps for me to be experiencing God. Second reason that we may not feel God is you may just be very distracted. We are a distracted generation, aren't we? I mean, has there ever been a, a time when we've been more distracted than what we are right now? The, the ultimate story of distraction that we find in the Scriptures is in Luke chapter 10. If you've been in church for long, you, you know this little account. Jesus is coming to the home of some of his closest friends. He's going to visit the home of Mary and Martha. They love him dearly. He loves them. And he's just going to have some chill-out time with them. Can you imagine? I mean, how wild and cool is that? Jesus is he's coming to your house not because there's somebody dying there. He's just coming because he loves you and just thinks it would be so cool to have dinner at your house and is going to hang out with you. That, that would be neat. Well, that's the story here. And so it says of Martha that she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. That little phrase is worth underlining. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You know what Jesus said to that? Martha, Martha, you are busy and, and worried about a great many things. But there's only one thing that's required. Mary has chosen that which is better and it will not be taken from her. That simple little account of these two ladies gives us such a glimpse at our own hearts and lives, doesn't it? That you relate to one of those two people in that story, don't you? Are you more of a, of a Mary soul or, or a Martha mindset? Because you're, you're one or the other. And, and it's so easy to see the difference because one is so hung up on doing. There's so much to be done. I mean, Jesus is coming to our house. We can't have a dirty house. That would probably be a sin. I mean, we've got to, we've got to clean the house. We've got to dust. Oh, my goodness, have you seen these cobwebs? There's just, the floors have got to be swept. It's a dirt floor. It's going to take a while. You know, it's, there's just all this stuff to do. <laughs> Jesus is coming. We've got to get ready. We've got to cook. We've got to have a great meal. And Jesus shows up. And for Mary, all of that stuff just dissolves into the background. For Mary, it's just one thing. Holy smoke. Jesus the one I love more than anybody in the world. He's at my house. I don't care if anything gets cooked. I don't care if anything gets cleaned. There is one thing I'll guarantee is going to happen. I'm going to be right next to him. And I'm going to hang on every word he says. I'm not going to miss. I don't know if he's going to be able to stay here, you know, eight minutes or eight hours. But however long it is, I'm not going to miss one moment with Jesus. You see... Mary was consumed with being, with just being near Jesus, with just being still and quiet to just take in all that she possibly could, while Martha was distracted with doing. We are the most distracted generation, I, I truly believe, ever in the history of the world. And this is one of the biggest curses that exists. And I... I it's crazy how much of the time this dominates our lives. You know, the constant rings and dings of the smartphone. Where it's not just phone calls. 
now every time anybody posts anything about anything on Facebook. And of course, you know, if we're with it, we've got to be posting too. It's like, oh, let me update my status. Just sneezed. Ding. Oh, wait, need a further update. Just wiped my nose. Appear to be free of infection. You know, it's just... We have to be constantly dialed in, 24-7. And we laugh about it. But it's that kind of mindset. And, and good grief. I mean, I'm starting to feel like there's only about 12 of us left who don't claim to be ADD. We, we just, I, it's like, I think we've been trained from birth to be ADD, truly. It's like, we, if you weren't born with it, don't worry about it. We'll train you to be ADD. <laughs> Seriously, you know, it's just, we can't focus on anything because we're so busy with, ding, 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 you know. Have you noticed? There's things that need to be cleaned here. Have you noticed this floor is real shiny? Have you noticed the color of the carpet? Just my brain just goes to everything in the world except just being able to focus in on whatever it is that matters the most. It makes it really, really hard to experience Christ in a powerful way when we are so distracted by all of these things. You know, one of the healthiest things that we can do is to have some time every day where all of this stuff is cut off, put in another room far removed from us and and some of us that's causing a little anxiety just to think about it isn't it i'm unreachable there's 30 minutes or an hour in the day i mean what if what yeah what if what if the world couldn't reach you for 30 minutes or an hour i bet god would have to call an emergency session of the holy trinity just to figure out how to get through that hour every day wouldn't he wouldn't that be tragic there's a good chance that distraction keeps you from feeling and experiencing god's presence a third reason can be that your heart may be hardened. One of the really tragic things that I've seen happen in a lot of people's lives is people who truly can say, there's been times in the past when I have been so close to God. I've really walked with Him. I've heard His voice in my life. I've, I've just lived in the presence of the Lord, have been in the middle of what He was doing, have seen Him powerfully work in me, through me, and the lives of other people. But then something happened, something really bad, something really painful. I got hurt by that. Particularly, a really common thing that, that will cause hardening of the heart will be when another Christian, somebody who, who really has been spiritually significant in your life, does something to really wound you, and it's never corrected. And it hurts you so deeply that you just take a big giant step, not only back from them, but away from the church, whatever's going on in Christian circles, and from the Lord. Whether you meant to or not. It's just like, I'm so hurt, I'm so distrustful, all I know to do is retreat. Sometimes it'll be the church that hurts you like that. Maybe the leadership of the church. It may just be a sense of, of the church as a whole. You know? and, and it may be something as simple as, you know, I, I went through a really, really bad experience and nobody from the church ever even seemed to notice. I went through the most painful time in my life and nobody from the church seemed to care. And so, forget you. If this is what it means to be Christian, I don't think I want to be in the middle of that. And it doesn't mean that I deny my faith, but it means in terms of practically how I live, I take a big giant step away from all of that. And the thing that's so tragic in that is when we get so wounded like that, particularly wounded by other Christians or by the church, 
even when that wound begins to heal up, it leaves awful scars. And if you ever had really bad scars, part of what's weird about that is the nerves are damaged and, and you're not sensitive the way you're supposed to be there anymore. That, that cut may heal up, but you just don't feel the stuff that you used to feel there because those nerves are cut. Same thing will happen to your heart. It gets so fractured by having been done wrong and nobody went back and made it right. And over time, you get to the point you're not just openly bleeding and weeping about that anymore. But you're really not healed either. So these awful scars are left. And you just have a heart that's just hardened, for lack of a better term. It's just, it's not sensitive the way that it used to be. And it wasn't like your goal in any of that was to get away from God. But unfortunately, you've just been so hurt by people who represented God in your life. And you've felt the need to escape all of that. And the tragic spinoff from that is you sort of escaped the voice of God. And an awareness of the presence of God in your life. You're no longer, you no longer have a heart that's really tender and sensitive to those things because of how you've been hurt. It's the kind of thing Jesus was talking about in Matthew 13 when he says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they've closed their eyes so they cannot see. It leaves us at a place, that's what Jesus is describing, it leaves us at a place where we see the things that God's doing and we no longer see the hand of God behind it. We hear what God's doing or what God's declaring, taught, spoken, and we just don't hear God in that anymore. We hear it really skeptically. You ever, you ever felt that? You ever just been so hurt and so frustrated by church and church people that even, I mean, just like in this moment, I mean, truly, with this many people gathered, it's, it's safe to say, some of you, this is the thing for you. What I'm talking about right now is the thing, and it's hard for you to listen to anything that I'm saying without putting a major filter on it and being so skeptical of it because you've been hurt by people like me. I'm, I'm a leader in the church. And you've come across other church leaders and they hurt you. And there's just a safeguard in your heart that's going, don't trust that guy. It's, it's somebody just like him that hurt you before. You better be real careful believing what he has to say. Because he's probably well trained in how to manipulate people and how to mess with your feelings and how to you know, pull you in. And this is what happens in a hardened heart. Jesus says, you'll hear, but you won't hear. You'll see, but you won't understand. You'll hear what's said, but your heart won't be able to receive God's presence and God's voice in that because you've been so hurt in the past that you've become hardened by that. That's a terrible place to be, isn't it? If it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, it's because I know what I'm talking about because I know it the hard way. I didn't read about it in a book. I know what it's like to be hurt by people. I know what it's like to have a heart that's hardened and afraid and feel safer stepping back. The fourth reason that we may not feel God is, and that is because you may have built up a wall of sin. Isaiah 59 2 says, But your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins 
have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. I want to be really clear about this. When a Christian sins, he or she is still a Christian, period. There are churches that teach just wrong doctrine on this, that it's like, well, yeah, you're a Christian because you trusted Christ, but when you sin, you're no longer on the list that's going to heaven until you confess that sin, and then God lets you back in his family, and you're back on the list. That is not what the Bible teaches. A Christian who commits a sin is still a Christian. What's being described here, and in many other places in the Bible, is that when you've trusted Christ, you've received God's forgiveness, you're a part of the family of God now, and you sin, it doesn't change your status in that regard, but it creates a separation between you and God. Not a separation that's going to send you to hell, but a separation that greatly impacts just your day-to-day experience. And this is no different than what happens in terms of just relationships in the flesh. If you're married... Some of you, on the way to church this morning, you are getting ready this morning, you know, you, you sinned against your spouse. Guys, some of the men in the room, you probably sinned against your spouse. You went to the car, you got tired of waiting, and you started sitting on the horn. That put a brick between you and your spouse toward building a wall. You know, if husbands, if you this week have gotten mad and you popped off and were ugly to your wife or wife to your husband, Another brick. Boom. If you were out in public and you were laughing it up with your friends and you were the funny guy at the table and you chose to make your spouse the butt of your joke and everybody laughed but her. Boom. Another brick. Guys, if you're with your wife out in public and a good-looking woman in some short shorts walked by and you went, hmm, that looked good. Honey? You thought about going on a diet? You know, you, you look lustily at another woman and then you, uh, then you make your wife feel small or big or, you know, whatever. Um, in that moment, brick, 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 brick. About five bricks. Mm-hmm. And probably a knot on the head. Your spouse didn't quit being your spouse in that moment, did they? You showed up at church and you may be ill at each other right now. Some of you are going, uh-huh, we can eat it talk about that but but they're still married to you but another brick added to that wall that practically speaking is separating the two of you we do the same thing in a relationship with god he doesn't quit loving us he doesn't quit being our father our savior but when there's unconfessed sin when there's repeated behavior that we just keep running back to that we don't deal with we don't ever repent of it brick Brick, brick, and for some of us, it's not that we're not saved. For some, it's just a matter of there's a bunch of bricks that have been built, and there is a pretty stout wall between us and God. And the way that it's described in Isaiah is just, you know, God, it doesn't feel like now you hear me or I hear you. I don't really feel your presence. I feel more like there's a brick wall. Well, sometimes it feels like there's a brick wall because there's a brick wall. And then the fifth and final thing is, is the most obvious one. It may be that you don't feel God's presence because you don't yet know God. And there's no shame in that. But it really is significant that we understand we live in the Bible Belt where we sort of feel like, well, everybody knows God. And that's a lot of the problem. 
In the Bible Belt, we all seem to know about God. And that is very different from knowing God. Jesus said in John 7, 28, as he was teaching in the temple, he said in a loud voice, Do you really know me and know where I'm from? I've not come on my own authority. He who sent me, however, is truthful, and you don't know him. He's really asking the key question. Do you really know me? Not just know about me. I've got a friend who talks about life in the Bible Belt and, and, and what we experience as being, you know, that we live in danger of being inoculated to the gospel. Because it's like in the Bible Belt, you'd be hard-pressed. I mean, there, there are people, this is true of them, but, but for most of us, you'd be hard-pressed to make it through your childhood and early adult life without hearing the gospel, right? I mean, it's hard to live in the deep south and not hear that Jesus is the Son of God, He died on the cross for our sins, and He rose from the dead. There's probably not three people in the room who have failed to hear this story quite a few times as you've lived your life. And so when somebody says, are you a Christian? It's like, well, I'm not a Muslim, and I'm not a Hindu, I'm not all these other things, and I know the story of Jesus. I'm a Christian. Yes, I am a Christian. Well, actually you're not, if that's your full experience. And, and this whole thing of being inoculated to the gospel, you know what happens when you get an inoculation? They give you a little bit of the disease. But it's not enough that you actually catch the disease. It's just enough that it keeps you from ever really getting the disease. That happens with the gospel in Christianity a lot of times. It's like, well, I know just enough about Jesus, God, and the gospel to be inoculated to it. It's like, yeah, I think I, think I got, yeah, yeah, I got that, I got that. Jesus died on the cross, blood of Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in God, go to heaven. Yeah, I, I, I know that, so I must have it. Well, knowing that is nowhere close to actually knowing God. And there are a lot of church-going people who got just enough of the gospel to sort of be inoculated to it. And it may be that today's an important time to be a wake-up call to go, that may be me. It may be that I don't feel God's presence because I don't have a personal relationship with God. It doesn't mean that God isn't around me. It means I have no connection to that God. And so I don't feel him ever in a significant way. Well, it is important to understand in the middle of all this that whether you feel God or you don't isn't the primary issue. People who know God well People who have been followers of Christ for decades are going to have seasons when they feel Him and when they don't. But there's something that's far more important than feeling God, and that is knowing and trusting God. And there's one operative word in the New Testament that defines the core of a personal connection to God, and it is the word faith. You see, if we always felt God, we wouldn't need faith. If I could always hear the voice of God, if I could always feel the presence of God, why do I need faith? I feel Him, I see Him, I hear Him. If I had that all the time, there's no faith required. The Scripture teaches that God is particularly pleased by faith. And that faith is the way that we come to know God. Hebrews eleven six sums it up well, and, and this really takes us to the second point for the day, and that is that it takes faith to know God even when you don't feel his presence. Hebrews eleven six says, Now without faith, 
It is impossible to please God. That's an important line. You can't please God or know God without faith. For the one who draws near to him, that's what we want is to be near God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now that brings on the question, well, how, how do I really do this? When what, is, what is faith? What, if faith is the thing that's necessary to have a relationship with God, what exactly is faith? Well, he had defined that five verses earlier when he said, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. And that's a stumbling block for a lot of people, isn't it? Because we hear that and go, Well, that's the problem! I haven't seen it, so I'm not sure of it. If I could see it, then I would be sure, and I'd have faith. No, you wouldn't have faith, you'd have sight. Faith is that thing that you have to hold on to in the absence of sight, when you haven't seen it, and you still choose to believe. And faith, ultimately, is always a choice. Faith is choosing to believe even when you can't see. Faith is choosing to believe even when you don't feel. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, how do you get there? How do you do that? You have to make a choice. Here's the good news about the choice. You can choose to believe even when you've still got a lot of questions and doubts. And in fact, that's how a lot of us have to get on board. A lot of us have, have felt like, and, and you know, this has been true in my past, that it's like, God, I've got so many doubts and questions that I need to have cleared up, and, and I, I need to get that settled so that I can have faith. And the Lord's going, well, the only way that you're going to begin to address any of those is to have faith, to choose to believe, and then in the context of a relationship, you'll be amazed how many of those things will get answered and cleared up. God is so good. He's so loving and so big. Here's the cool thing about it. We think that God is going, well, I'm not going to accept you unless you quit having these doubts and fears and questions. Oh, no, 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 no. He is a loving father. And just as you as a parent wouldn't dare look at your kids and go, I am not going to love you until you quit asking me questions. <laughs> Duh. You're going to love your kids no matter what questions they ask. And God is going, listen, I love you. I get it. I, I know you've got moments when you doubt. I know you've got questions that are big that haunt you. That's okay. I'm going to take you, I am just tickled to death to take you with all of your doubts, fears, and questions. And we'll work through that stuff, but we'll work through it in here, not out here. Faith is the key. So choosing to believe, there are some wonderful things that follow from that. And I want to wrap up by sharing with you three promises about the presence of God in relation to believing. The first one is the biggie, and that is that you will find God when you seek Him wholeheartedly. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, the Lord says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Isn't that good news? To know that God is not playing some gigantic game of hide and go seek. He's not like going, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, warmer, warmer. No, colder, colder, colder. colder. Your eyes, colder. No. Warmer, warmer, warmer. You're on fire. You remember playing those kinds of games? You know, hiding and go see. God is not playing that with you. God loves to reveal himself. God loves intimate connection. He wants you to have an intimate connection. And, and sometimes, I, listen, I get it. There are some of you who, who right now, 
on the inside, you're shaking your head going, that is preacher speak, it does not apply to me. I know, I know from experience because I have tried to press in all this talk about God wants you to know Him. He wants to be intimate. He wants you to know His voice. I have tried, I have tried for years and it don't work for me. I understand if you feel that way. And I promise you on the authority of God's Word, if you will seek Him with your whole heart, He'll be found by you. And your experience may not look like my experience, and it may not look like, you know, the person flopping on the floor's experience. But he says, you will be found by me. But you have to seek him with your whole heart. Had somebody ask me about that this week. Just, just being real honest. Somebody who's a beginner, and they're like, I have no idea how to do that. A God that I can't see, how do you seek that person? It's not like you can give me his address and I can go visit his house or send him an email. I mean, how do I seek God? It's a great question. I want to just remind you, this is not rocket science. I want to remind you of three simple things that if you want to seek the Lord wholeheartedly have got to be a significant part of the equation. First of all, spending some time in his word every day. If you want to know God, God is going to reveal himself significantly through his word And if you don't get connected to his word, don't expect to experience God in a significant way. He is so tied to his word. The term for for word is is revelation. You know, there's the written word, there is the living word in the person of Jesus. It is, it's a, that term is like concept, idea, revelation. God is wanting to reveal himself. He's wanting you to experience him. His written word is a key part of that. So taking just a little window of time each day to spend in His Word, if that's not a practice in your life right now and you really want to get to know God or or begin again to get to know God, take His Word and begin to read daily a little chunk every day. If you're not accustomed to doing that, don't try and bite off more than you can chew. Take a few minutes to read one or two chapters. Start in the Gospels. If, If you don't have a beginning point, please don't start in Genesis and try and read straight through because if you're new to the Bible... You'll get in Leviticus or Chronicles or, you know, and it, it'll just, you'll choke on it and, it and it'll get old. And I'm not dishonoring the word to say that. There are, there are times and places where all the word of God is appropriate. If you are new to the scriptures, start in the Gospels. Just trust me on that. We want to meet Jesus, and Jesus is clearly revealed in the Gospels. Take a chapter or two a day. I think it's great to take a chapter a day. And just, if you need to read through it two or three times even, just say, as you start, God, help me to know you. Help me to hear you and, and encounter you and get to know you as I read your word. And then the second piece is just talk to God. We call that prayer. And the problem for many of us is we've been taught so much in church, not just by open teaching but by example, that prayer gets complicated It becomes something that it was never intended to be. And we get tripped up on the kind of language we're supposed to use. And it's like we take on a whole other tone of voice. And we think about this mile-long prayer list of how to be praying for all these things. Listen, if you're not praying, would you just toss that list aside for a while? Seriously? And would you just spend a few minutes just telling God whatever's on your mind? And all of that thing in you, if you grew up like I did, so in the church that... It's like, our most blessed Heavenly Father, we beseech you today that thou wouldst blah, blah. Please throw that person out the door. Get rid of all that language and just, just tell him what's on your mind. Ask him whatever you need to ask him. Along the way, you probably are going to think of 
of the few situations that are so, you know, people who are so dear to you, situations that are so critical that you'll want to mention those things to him. And that's a good thing to do. But as you ask him about things, as you bring things up to him, along the way, just, just take a moment and be still and think about what you just mentioned to him. You're asking him, God, speak to me about that. Help me to know what to do. Well, he's not going to answer in a voice you're going to hear with these ears 99.99% of the time. But when he does answer, he's going to speak to you at the level of your thoughts. So when you mention it to him, stop talking and think about it in the presence of the Lord. And guess what? The voice of the Lord is going to come oftentimes in your thoughts as you think about that. And it's like it occurs to you, you know what? I ought to. I need to. I could try. Well, guess what? You just heard from God. That very, very simple thought or idea is the voice of the Lord speaking to you, connecting with God in prayer. And then the final piece that I'll mention is worship is such a key part of experiencing God consistently. And I'm not just talking about primarily what happens in here. Yes, getting together with other people. I mean, we do encounter Christ in sort of unique ways when we get together. And so this is significant that we do this, but that's not really the primary piece that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifestyle of worship where... You just get to enjoy God a lot of different times of the day. I mean, just little things you can do, like just dial in on Pandora some great Christian artists that do great you know, worship music and just let that be playing through a lot of the day. It's amazing how that draws us into the presence of God. Jackie and I went to supper one night this week with Nels Ferrix, who's in the first service crowd. And uh, afterwards, he invited us back to his home in Foley, and, and we walked in. And it was just one of those neat times that sort of embodies some of what we're talking about. I've never been in Nels' home before, and it was like the moment we walked in, you just sort of felt a presence. You just sort of sensed the presence of the Lord. Of course, one of the first things that you encounter when you walk in is there's praise music playing. He's been gone for hours, but there's praise music playing. That joker has got the biggest CD player I have ever seen in my life. It holds 100 discs, every, and it's full. He has 100 Christian CDs loaded in this thing, and it's programmed. It just plays through all 100 CDs all the time. So the, the whole time we're there, there's just quietly in the background, there's just praise music going on the whole time. Of course, if you don't know Nels, listen, you need somebody to pray for you. Go, I'm going to give away a good secret here. Go find Nels. Every time I have a need, I need somebody to pray. Nels is the first guy I call. I mean, and he doesn't brag on himself. It's just, it's just his life. I mean, like, he'll... Call me. Uh, this happened one day this week. This is kind of commonplace. Nels calls me about lunchtime and he goes, I'm going to spend some time in intercession. I spent about four or five hours in prayer this morning, but I'm going to really spend some time in intercession this afternoon. So if there are needs in the church, tell me those so that I can press in on those. And I'm like, do what? <laughs> you know, you're going to really pray this afternoon. I only spent four or five hours this week. I mean, he just prays through the night. This guy just really lives in the presence of the Lord. And it's just so cool. You walk in a place like that and. Some of you are looking at me like, are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. This guy really, it, he is like the lead intercessor for the church. But just to walk in his home, there's just this atmosphere of worship and praise that you sense God's presence. And a lot of times, just worship music helps us to do that. So make it your top priority to seek the Lord with the whole heart. A second thing that I'll say as a, as a presence promise is that you can really do life in God's presence. When Jesus said... Uh, in John 14, I'll ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit who will help you and always be with you. That's just a, a great promise that the Lord 
wants you not just to have these little pockets on Sunday mornings or, you know, for 20 minutes each morning or each evening when you have your quiet time that you encounter him. He wants you to experience him all day long, and he's with you through every moment of the day. One of the Christian classics that if you haven't ever read, it's worth getting hold of. It's, it's hundreds of years old. It's written by a Catholic monk named Brother Lawrence, and it's tiny, tiny little paperback thing uh, called The Practice of the Presence of God. And what he shares in there is just so profound and yet so simple. It's a guy who just tapped into just living in the presence of the Lord all the time. And we might think, oh man, that would just be a burden to just constantly worship and pray. No, no, no. What he describes is not burdensome. It's just this wonderful thing of realizing I don't have to run into my God compartment to experience God. And so many of us, we're compartmentalized thinkers. It's like, I have to, all right, I'm going to carve out 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and this is my God time. I'll read my Bible, I'll pray, I'll do my prayer list, I'll, I'll do that stuff. And then I'm going to get out of that, and I'm going to get in my get-ready-for-work compartment. And then I'm going to be in my go-to-work compartment. And then I'm going to be in my lunch crowd compartment, and in my family compartment that night. And, and, but tomorrow morning, I'll get back in my God compartment. And this is blowing up that box. It's not saying that I don't need time to read the Word and spend some focused time in prayer, but it's just saying way beyond that, God is just as much with me through every moment of the day, and I need to learn to practice His presence, to be reminded of His presence, and to interact with Him throughout the day. And that doesn't mean I have to, oh, wait a minute, I need to get into a prayer mode. No, it it just means that just from the very, just at, at any moment in the day, that we can just offer up these little breath prayers, little arrow prayers where we're just interacting with God. You get out of the bed in the morning and, and it, hey, if it's the thing that occurs to you, just go, wow, God, that was a great night's sleep, thanks. That you, you walk in at work and you realize your boss is just going to be a twit today. God, I'm going to really need your help today. <laughs> I'm going to really need your help loving him and, and you know, being who I need to be. That when you sit down to eat a meal, that you don't just sort of do a ritualistic blessing, but that in your heart you just go, Wow, there are so many people who don't have this to eat today. Thank you, God, for providing for me. When the sun is setting and you see the sky just ablaze with all these colors and you're driving down the road going, wow, who could even begin to create that? To just go, you did it again. Great job. That's beautiful. You don't have to go into some deep prayer. Just through every part of the day to just be aware of his presence and and here's the cool thing as you offer up these little arrow prayers these breath prayers it's amazing how because you have a soul that's being cultivated the whole time that you're doing that and as you're offering things up to god you'll begin to realize over time that god is dropping things in on you that you weren't even aware of before because now you're just more aware of the presence of the lord and his voice begins to speak in your thoughts more and more frequently he wants to do every part of the day with you and the final thing I'll share is this. You can experience God now. Regardless of whether you've ever known God personally. Maybe you've known Him personally for a long time, but, but now He seems far off and distant. You can experience and know God now. Paul said in Acts 17, This God made the world and everything in it, And God has done all of this so that we will look for Him and reach out and find Him. He isn't far from any of us, and He gives us the power to live, move, and be who we are. What a cool thought. That God made 
all of this. And, and here's, Paul's talking to a, a bunch of high-minded philosophical people in this particular passage. And he's saying, I, I just want you to get this, that the created world around us that is so vast and complex that you really have to work hard to try and convince yourself, oh, this, is just, this just happened, this is the product of evolution. Yeah, right. He said, God did all this so that you would look at it and see behind it, wow, there must be somebody really powerful, wise, creative, and good that did all of this. And he did that, Paul says, so that we would reach out to him. So that we could actually know him. Because God is near to every one of us. Isn't that a good promise? You may feel like that because of how you've lived your life, God is not near you because He doesn't want to come near you. I promise you, on the authority of God's Word, God is near to you. You may not feel Him. You can't wait to feel Him. By faith, you're invited today to receive Him. You don't get in a relationship with God by feeling Him. You get in a relationship with God by believing Him. Trusting in Him when you can't see Him and maybe you don't feel Him. There will be some cool seasons where you feel Him powerfully when you hear Him speak powerfully. There will be some seasons where you don't feel a whole lot, but He's just as real and He's there. If you've never before trusted and accepted Christ, moved beyond knowing about God to knowing God, through trusting in what Christ has done on the cross for you to pay the price for your sins so that that issue is removed, that you can personally be connected with God. If you've never done that, it's a simple response of faith. Yes, Jesus. Even with my doubts and questions and uncertainties, I choose the best I know how to believe in you and what you've done for me. To believe that if I say yes to you, Yes to, not only to your forgiveness, but yes to you coming in and taking control of my life. That is the big part of the transaction, by the way. He's not just popping in for an occasional visit. He is coming in to live in you, to be the Lord and master of your life. When you say yes to that, he always responds. He doesn't just come say, hi, glad to meet you. He comes to live inside you and to begin to change you and direct you for the rest of your life. You can do that today. There are probably a lot more people in the room, it was true in the first service, that you have experienced Christ before. You have the Spirit of God living in you, but if you're honest, you would say, I don't feel the nearness of God, and I'm not walking in that close relationship where I hear Him, I experience Him, I live in close fellowship with Him the way that I have at some time in the past. And I want to do something about that. Well, you, you do something about that very similar to how you began if you didn't know Christ. It's a simple response of faith and saying, I want you to be the center of my life again. I don't need to be saved, but I need to move past these things. If there's, if there's a barrier of sin, I need to confess some stuff and get that out of the way, God. If I've been living distracted, Lord, I, I'm willing to lay some things down so that I can have some time to focus in on you. I, I want to begin to seek you with my whole heart. It may mean beginning to do some things differently. God, I've got to carve out some time. I may need to go to bed earlier so in the morning I can have a little time to spend some time in your word and, and talking to you and listening for you. Whatever it is, there needs to be a beginning point to say, God, I want you in the center of my life. 
what Paul said. He wants us to reach out to him so that we can know him. And regardless of which category you're in, God's great desire is just that we would reach out, that we would respond. What God's doing right now is he's already reaching out toward you. He's near you. He's extending his hand toward you. And he's just looking for those that would, in faith, just go, God, even with a lot of questions still left, I'm going to reach back and take hold and let you take hold of me. Would you join me right now as we go to him together in prayer? If today you need to, to make that start of asking Christ to come in and take control of your life, forgive your sins, and to let you begin to know God in a personal way, I'm going to invite you right now just from your heart. You don't have to even do it out loud. But in your heart, which is the part that really does matter most, would, would you just pray with me a simple prayer expressing faith to say, Jesus I really need you in my life. I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you today to forgive my sins. I do believe you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And I'm asking you now to come in and live in me. To give me a fresh start. And I want you to begin to be the one in control of my life. The best I know how, I'm giving you the reins. I'm giving you the steering wheel of my life. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for loving me and for saving me. I don't want anybody at all to look around. I, I just, And I'm not going to ask you to, to do anything awkward, but just if you just prayed that prayer with me, all I'm going to do is just pray for you. Would you just lift a hand? Nobody else looking. Would you just, all right, anybody else? Several around the room. Anybody else? Thanks. Anybody else that's just said, yep, I, I just prayed that. Father, I pray for each one of these men and women who just opened their hearts to you. You know the desire of their hearts. They want to know you. They want to be right with you. And I ask you right now to seal this moment with your Holy Spirit poured into them. I pray that you would, even in this moment, help them to know that they're right with you, that they're loved by you. I pray that you would birth in them a faith that's solid and that will see them through a lifetime. And I pray that you would grace them with just such a, a sense of your spirit that they would feel your presence, that they would know that they've encountered you, the living God. Now I ask another question as we continue to pray. If you're in that second category of people who say, there's been a time when I've known God and felt Him and walked with Him, but here lately, that hasn't been my life, and I really want to change that. Again, I just, would you just raise your hand to just say, that, that's me. I, all right, who else? I, I'm just ready to move past where I am, okay? Anybody else just ready today to move beyond that? I want to be where I'm walking with God and believing God. Anybody else? Okay, several. Father, I pray for, for each one of these that you would help us today. And I pray for myself that you would help us to make seeking you the top priority of our lives. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, let yourself be found. Stir up your spirit in us that we would have a hunger and a thirst that we would 
hunger for your word, that we would seek you through the day, that your spirit would just prompt us to just speak to you and listen for your voice through the day. Help us to make you the top priority in our lives. I pray, God, that you would do a powerful work in the lives of of each of these who've said, I need a fresh start. I need to move to a deeper place right now. We ask those things, trusting you for that, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.